Welcome to the Wealth Radar podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing and personal wealth. I'm Jason Fowler, and I'm joined by my brother, Paul. We're certified financial planners from Fowler's Group, and in this episode, we will be discussing a series of questions or topics that have been asked a number of times over the last couple of weeks, particularly around the area of self-managed super funds. Yeah, the last month, for whatever reason, we've, we've had a lot more inquiries regarding self-managed super funds, and we've, we've invited Paul Horn back to the, to the podcast today, who's one of our um, self-managed super fund specialists in the, in the office. Um, so we're going to talk about a few of those issues that come up, because they're probably common to everyone. Um, and at the end, we'll also be giving away a couple of free tips in regards to the end of year, um, end of financial year, things to, to consider there as well. Welcome, Horny. Thank you very much for having me again. Welcome back, our second repeat guest. Woo! <laughs> well, I just want to start off with probably this, uh, the appropriate place. I had a phone call from a, uh, just a prospect. We didn't know. It was not a client. Um, just wanting to get some uh, advice um, or general advice, really, because we hadn't met him before, but in regards to setting up a super, self-managed super fund to buy a property because he's um, his super hadn't done too well over the last twelve months, which is common for probably most Australians. Um, and the thought is that he, you know, he had half a million dollars. The thought is that he could then use that super to buy a property because he's done well in the past with property, and it never goes backwards. That, that same old conversation. So, um, I gave him my comments around, you know, look for half a million, you're probably going to need more than that to start with. Um, and then he said, yeah, we can borrow. So I said, that, that comes with other issues that we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and then, but the, the main thing I hung on, I said, mate, look, if you, if you do this, you're then investing all your superannuation into, into one asset. Mm-hmm. Um, diversification. Which from a diversification really point of view and long-term isn't the best way to go. Um, it's same as, and I'm not saying whether that's property or not. I said, look, if you, if you came to me and you want to put all your money in, NAB, for example, in, in one share, I'd say that's not the right thing to do either. So it's not necessarily the asset class. Um, so anyway, we, we had a chat about that. And then he sent through some projections, which I, I flicked onto you, Jason, to have a bit of a detailed detailed okay. look at this, to see what that um, what that looked like. Yeah, and I think that the uh, – and we'll just talk to it briefly. Mm. It, the interesting thing is it uh, came from uh, a firm – on the Gold Coast that specialised in setting up self-managed fund of super funds to buy properties at no fees, um, which it's a bit like the conversation we had about the blockchain mining. Oh, yeah, the minute someone man. tells yep. me that this is the greatest thing to do and it isn't going to cost me anything, my alarm bells start to go Good flags, off, right? Mm. Um, and now I'm not saying, you know, anything necessarily in this, but they had this projection that said, you know, you could buy this property for $800,000, you got $500,000, we'll borrow the difference. Um your, your net cash flow out of that is going to be about $30,000 a year. Um, you'll pay off the house in about 18 and a half years. No, and, eight, about eight. Sorry, eight, eight and a half was. years yeah. or just over eight years. Um, and then based on a whole bunch of sum, uh, assumptions that they'd done, they said that by the time, I can't even remember what this client's age was, but by the time they were 62, the property would be valued at a minimum mm. of $1.6 plus million based on a conservative growth rate of eight of 4% per annum although the national average, according to this script, was almost seven. Um, and But after they'd paid the 
the, ha- the house off. They would continue to get rent, blah, blah, blah. And that their minimum super balance at retirement was going to be 620 grand. Over an, an, and I'm guessing that was over and above no, the property. One, one, um, right? Yeah, 680 in cash, sorry. Yeah, yep. cash. So they were going to have $1.62 million property and 600 grand in cash. Um, and they were expecting that the rent would be at least almost $1,300 a week. 44-year-old, the client. 40. Okay, there you go. Yep. So, you know, a bit under 20 years of growth. Now, and they did all the calculations to justify that. Now, the interesting thing, and we'll get um, Orny to com- comment in here, was because he basically said, well, can you give me an opinion? What, what, what things that I should, based on this information that I've been given, what are some questions I should ask? And the first thing for me that glared out was that the was the assumption that the property would grow at 4% per annum, which, give or take, but the rent would not. Hmm. And so my question then initially is, well, why would the property be worth $1.6 million and produce an income yield of only effectively 1% now when it's supposedly got an income yield that makes it so good and why you can pay your home off so quickly at the beginning of or close just, to nearly five and a half, nearly five and a half percent. Mm. Like that, it it doesn't seem to make sense, right? So it's one thing to say, well, why if property is you know, and not necessarily one hundred percent for residential property, but a big factor of returns over property over time has to be the yield, right? Yep. And so you've not only got this one big asset that's grown and supposedly looks good on paper, but you know that rental yield at one point is pretty ordinary. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if we're looking at superannuation, you, you're looking at to... You've got to retire. To tr- retire on income, not on, on the asset, and you've got this one asset in there producing a yield of 1%. It's not a really good no. result, is it? Yeah, and, and the only other thing you've got if you're turning it in, in, in this, this super fund into an income stream at 62 is you've got 600 grand's worth of cash and a 1% income yield on a property, you know, at some point you're probably full. So the, it's the diversification issue. What's your thoughts there? Mr. Horn? Yeah, definitely with one of the big issues with self-managed funds and and what people don't consider is that uh, lack of diversification. So often people who are establishing a self-managed fund will be buying just this one property in obviously in in one location. Um, And it's so diversification is definitely a huge issue. And, And as you stated, from a property point of view, or one of the important things is is that rental yield, um, and particularly once you get into retirement phase, because that's what you're building um, superannuation for to give you a a retirement income stream. And then there's rules when you go into pension phase about uh, the minimum income stream that must be drawn out, and and therefore if you know if you've got a property that's only giving actually a, a rental yield of something like one to one and a half percent at that point in time it forces you to draw down on the capital within the, the super fund. So in this particular case, that, that would have you know definitely been an issue with, with the overall strategy. Um, and because of the minimum income you have to take in, in that, that, That's right. So, so in, take five, yeah, in, in retirement, so once, yeah. you, once you reach age 65 yeah. and you convert your superannuation to uh, pension or drawdown phase, then uh, from age... 65 to 74, the minimum income you've got to draw down is 5%. Uh, and after 75, this increases to 6% uh, and gradually gets larger as you get so older. So, Horny, as, as if that income, in, in this yeah. case, that income rent stays at 1%, they chew up the, mm. the spare cash, mm-hmm. what, what happens then? 
So what? Say well, they say, yep. say they don't have the other spare cash, cash. or the, yep. the extra four percent or whatever well, we're talking about. It's very it's very hard just to sell off the patio of your home. So um, uh, whereas other assets, obviously, you can uh, start to maybe sell off or draw down on the capital quite easily. Whereas a home, it's one large asset. So it could be at a stage where you're, you're actually forced to sell that sell home or that property uh, because you've got to meet the minimum drawdown requirements of, of the self-managed fund. Yeah, so, I mean, in this okay. example, I think the, the, the percentage mm. drawdown under 65 is four, four, right? Yes. So even if they did it at 62 in this example and we're mm. saying that the super fund, assuming their assumptions were correct, is worth 2.2 million or thereabouts, almost 2.3 million, mm. then they're needing to take almost $90,000 a year of cash flow out of this mm. if the the property is yielding $1,300 a week gross, right, after expenses, maybe they're getting 50. Mm. Where's the other 30 to 40 coming from? Yes. The only place mm-hmm. at the moment it can come from is the 600 grand that's mm. in other assets. Mm. But in a very short period of time, that 80 becomes 110. You're starting to diminish well, those other assets well, pretty quickly. Well, married, so you've got mm. two in pension phase. Yeah, but that's mm. off the total balance. Total, total right? balance, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that became, it's it's just yeah. one of the challenges that no one pre-sex down the line. And the other thing that I think mm. that for me in this one, that, that the one thing that always gets forgotten through this, I think it never gets factored into these calculations, is it what we say it's almost 20 years, like 18 years, right? right? Mm. Yep. No note of any cost to refurb, renovate, a yep. property that's now 18 years old. Now, mm-hmm. you can't tell me that the property will go up at 4% per annum and you don't spend a cent on it, right? And so once those things get factored in at a reasonable rate over a 20-year property, I mean, it's going to have been repainted at least twice, mm. right? You know, I've got an eight-year-old home that, you know, plumbing fittings are going. Like there's yeah, just there's, there's, stuff there's... happens all the time. Um, and you've got people in it that you that aren't you. You've got tenants, right? And, you know, you can have good tenants and bad tenants, but on a the whole they're – they don't treat houses like yeah, their Yeah, can own. I just say, in this case, it's a residential property. It's yeah, not, yes. It's not yep. a commercial yep. property, yeah. And I think at the moment, obviously, everyone's, you know, obviously excited about property because we've got such a an issue with the availability of rental properties in Australia. So at the moment, probably not, not too hard to find someone to go into a residential rental property, but that is definitely not always the case in Australia and won't, won't always be. And there's going to be periods in the future where the property won't be rented for the whole 52 weeks of the year. For 18 years for, in a row. For 18 years in a row. There'll definitely be, be periods of time where there is no one in the property renting it. Um, um, so that, that you know, hasn't been factored in either and it's something that people need to be aware of, um, that, that it, it, you know, it's not always going to be rented for 52 weeks of the year. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, we're not anti-property. Property plays mm. a place in a, in, a, in a well-rounded portfolio. It's part of diversification. All we're saying is that generally people only focus on what I paid for it and what I sold it for mm. and don't factor in the costs of holding over that period of time, which yep. the, the interest rates are potentially going up over that 18-year period, at least stabilising. That's a decent draw. And there has to be money reinvested. You just mm. can't tell me, I don't know of a house. Well, I do. Houses that aren't touched for 20 years generally don't go up in value at a significant rate. Yep. Uh, and I think that that's just the big thing. And and our biggest, my other big warning is that when somebody says that you can do all these wonderful things and we do it for free and we don't get paid, <laughs> chances are they're getting paid on the loan, they're getting paid by the property developer out of the sale price. It, someone's paying somewhere, so just ask the question, well, yeah, 
Yeah. No one does it out of the goodness of their heart. And so. I, and I, I want to sort of lead into another couple of questions that have been asked in regards to self-managed super funds, more around the borrowing. Um, I had a couple of clients now, and these are business clients that yep. want to get their uh, commercial property that they're running the business out of into self-managed super fund, a good strategy, used all the time, great strategy, but need to borrow. To do it? To do it. Um, and on a couple of occasions after having the conversation, that we want to do that because then what we want to do is an extend it and add another four bays and put this thing out the front and, and then that brings a whole different set of rules and issues in its self done it only if you if, if you've borrowed yep. against that property and then you want to do renovations what do we got to do there yeah oh yeah look self-managed super funds themselves even without borrowing obviously all already come with a whole lot of rules and obligations you've got to make sure you're you're meeting and and um, doing everything by but when we you introduce borrowing or a, what they often call a limited recourse borrowing arrangement uh to to help buy a property then it it then is a whole another lot of further legislation and rules that, that go with that. And, and definitely one of the restrictions is that, that you're, you're buying a, a property that's considered a, a single acquirable asset and there's rules then around whether you can actually change the nature of that property or, or what it's used for uh, or the overall structure of the property with, with borrowed funds. So there, there are restrictions there then around when you've purchased this property with borrowed money uh, of what you can actually then do to that property, uh, and and that's definitely an area that people are unaware of, um, yeah. and and can so cause so some problems. And in simple simple yeah. terms, you can mm. maintain it, yes. yeah. and it's upkeep. You can't improve it. Can you you that, can do office fit outs and things like that? Can you or yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm -mm. yeah 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 maybe. It's great, but you certainly can't you certainly can't Im improve it or change the nature of it. So if yeah, someone yeah. comes in and says, "Yeah, I've got this one, and it's mm. you know it's a ten bay shed, uh, a, a ten meter shed um, bay, and I've got the capacity to put a second one on, mm. and I've borrowed the money to buy it," you're not buying a, you're not building a second shed mm. when that asset has already been secured by a lender, mm. and they're not going to be able to lend. Um, and then the other challenge mm. with lending, and it probably needs um, to the second part of that question is that a lot of people do this and think it's great, but the couple of things they don't factor in. One, generally they or an entity that they control already owns this. Yep. And so there's the consequences of transfer, right, and and cost of transfer, The first, one of which most people I think in some way, shape or form know this but don't really factor it in, is if that property has increased in value since it was forced purchased then there's a disposal by the entity that's selling it which leads generally to a capital gains tax consequence but certainly the one thing that people just never even think of is stamp duty people don't think about that when they buy their own homes no you never think about that it's never added on to the price of the purchase of yeah, it's the, the it's the sneaky cost that is everyone that. know that everyone just ignores but it's there and it it can be quite yeah, large mm. uh, and that generally when we're looking at those strategies we're always of the view that we've got to factor that stuff in and make people aware of it and when you add those numbers up sometimes mm. it suddenly doesn't it's not about whether the super fund should or shouldn't own it it's whether it's a smart yeah, financial, financial decision um, to do the transaction and when you do your, your analysis obviously I think a wise thing to do and we've done it for a couple of people is this payback period you know so these are extra costs you otherwise may not have had if you kept it in your own name or yep. another entity. Um, it still might be a good idea to get it in self-managed super fund, but it's really you should do the analysis, say, right, Al, if we do shift it and there's going to be these extra costs, 
yes, I'm going to save tax whilst it's in super because uh, you know you get you can sessionally taxed in there. But how long is it going to? Is that payback period? Is it five years? Is it ten years? Is it fifteen years? It, there's got to be a point where that's a no go, or yeah, maybe it's worthwhile. What is there a set time frame you think, or or depends on the individual's ages, or? Oh, look, age does does come into it because obviously to get the maximum benefit out of superannuation, which comes with those tax concessions, then you know prior to retirement, where the super fund is only paying a maximum of. 15% tax and then then into retirement where it reduces to zero, you, obviously that's that's the benefit you want to try to maximise. So it would be very hard to possibly do the analysis of someone who's already very deep into retirement phase mm. um, and, and maybe is already in their, you know, 70s or so and, and looking at doing these sort of transactions or transfers into a self-managed super fund where the, the, the benefits, you know, it, there, there's only maybe a limited time they'll receive mm. these tax benefits for whereas yeah look if someone's um a little bit younger and, and as you say they already own a commercial industrial property and, they, and it's one they're already using in their business and they're someone who's already uh contributing maximums into their mm-hmm. super so they're already getting large amounts of money in and and the the shed slash commercial property whatever it may be can you know pay uh, the, the rent on it is a is a decent rental yield then you know they can have that loan paid off quite quickly, and it, and if that's the case, um, and they and they can have the loan, uh, and so they can then remove some of these restrictions that come in with a, a with a limited recourse borrowing arrangement, then you know that that's more so your ideal, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Client I know, that, I know, where, I know the yeah. focus of a couple of plans that yeah. we've done a yep. recent time for clients where there has been yes borrowing involved to do that. The yep. focus is yep. To get rid of that, get it repaid as, quickly as, as quickly yes. as possible. Well, so yes. you have got to have maximise your contributions. Yes, and you have to be able to do that. And because, there's a risk yes. in that t- short yeah, time correct. frame while you're doing it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, but the yeah. other flip side mm. of that is that you've got to because if you're not doing it in a short period of time, you're actually generally in lots of cases mm. leaving a lot of tax on the table mm. because mm. that as as Paul said before, um, super funds pay tax at a maximum of fifteen cents in the dollar. Most of these people who are thinking about this stuff are in businesses that are either in companies or in structures of, of, of trusts and the income's coming to them at personal rates where they're paying tax at a much higher rate. Sure, that's the, the flip side, but it also means that the interest on those loans that they've got is actually being deducted at a higher rate. Mm. Um, and so people just don't also don't think of that. So it's part of it's a, it's a horses for courses thing. Um, and it comes down to capacity. It comes down to what you're trying to do with the property. Um, and I think that it it's great in concept to go, oh, well, I'll just take this here and it'll be in my super fund and I'll get all the rent in and it'll grow at a, a lower tax rate and we'll be well be well and good. But as Paul's already said, you know, there's a bunch of things to take into that, not least of which is time frame mm, um, right. and, and look at that. So I think that leads to the question, Mr. Horn. So when is – when sh- – when and what are the circumstances that people should think about self-managed super funds? And what, what things do we have to take into account? Forget property for a second. I, look, with, with self-managed super funds, um, I suppose historically it's been about having a greater uh, control, flexibility, possibly some access to some different assets and, and what have you. Um, and, and, and some of those things can provide a benefit. However, the superannuation industry and, and products have changed significantly over time. So um, these days, there, there are a lot of superannuation um, platforms or wrap accounts or other options you've got out there that aren't 
self-managed funds that, that can deliver pretty much everything that a self-managed fund can deliver apart from owning direct property. So, so with, with self-managed funds uh, or those people that might be interested in a self-managed fund, then the main, I suppose, possible advantage or flexibility with still wanting to have a self-managed fund is that investment in direct property. Mm. Uh, otherwise, if, if, if you have no interest in direct property at all, I would say there are other products out there in the marketplace that can sufficiently cater for your needs in terms of control, flexibility, asset choice, what, whatever. Yeah, um, it, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. agree with that. The interesting mm. thing, though, that's that's what's getting a lot of press of late is mm. that the ATO had an interpretation, as I recall, that they basically said the amount of money you should have before you set up a self-managed fund, mm-hmm. and, and I think it was two fifty or it's around that mm. two hundred to five hundred thousand dollar mark, which they've now just removed. Uh. Right, and so they basically said, "It's your call. We're not going to mm. mandate or interpret." And I, and so what the mm. interesting thing with that is actually led to some newer products that allow you to get a self-managed structure in place. Mm. So get all the benefits of the self-managed, the, the feeling of control and the trust and whatever. But you can set it up now, and this is something that we'll be thinking about, or we are thinking about as a firm. Set it up in such a way that you can have the self-managed fund structure without the need for property early and build it. But then if that opportunity comes down the track, you don't have to move from one fund to another. And so that's something that possibly will pay a part now um, because the biggest challenge with a self-managed fund or the biggest thing I think that people forget is it comes with some liability. Yep. You're the trustee. You are mm. now responsible. You have to make sure things happen. And if something goes wrong, the penalties for getting it wrong are high. Now, with, with good advice and good structures in place and being an awareness of that, that shouldn't happen – but it's not just I need one because I want to be in mm. control because it comes with a lot of baggage and, you know, over a long period of time eventually that some people lose interest in that. Um, mm. And I think that that's, it's, it's, it's an awareness thing. But I think there is potentially opportunities or there may be as third and fourth generation products come out which may enable some of those benefits that will then lead to the freedom to adapt to other yeah, assets at yeah. points down the track, which is something that we all should consider along right, the way. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move Enough off Enough of self management. Oh, yeah, let's move off. But we have been getting a heap of questions. That's why there was a lot it's of... It's the end of the financial year approaching generally when that happens. Yeah, yeah. So that, one of the other questions that we do get quite regular over recent times, but actually we've, we've got this quite a bit over the last probably 12 months because of interest rates doing what they've been doing. I'm going to put this to you guys and you may be of the exact same opinion with, with, with your answers. So with the interest rates going up, the question is, what do we do? With the, with the interest rates going up, do we then focus putting our extra money on the home loan or do we focus on putting it into investment or superannuation? And a lot of this has come from people that are actually doing extra into superannuation and the thought is, do we stop doing that and do we start putting it off the home loan because of the interest rate? What, what's your views on that? Is there a right or a wrong way or what's, what's your t- – I'll give you my take to, to start you. My take is – what, I, what I, I give an option is say, yeah, you could stop the super contribution. The problem with that, sometimes when you stop things, it's hard to restart. But let's say, yes, you can stop that. If you have the ability to have a, you know, a loan drawback on your home loan or an offset account, put those contributions into that offset again on your home loan. And then at the end of the financial year in June, as it's building up in cash, it's, it's saved you the interest along the way for the 12 months. You then have the option to say, righty, I'm going to take that out and put into super claim a tax deduction or part of it or not. It sort of gives you a bit of flexibility. Is that a fair 
option. That's that's definitely something that at least gives you that flexibility still of yeah, of getting it. You you've got a benefit throughout the year with regard to interest and and still the flexibility of to get that tax deductible contribution mm-hmm. in. And probably the two important things that I think about when you often get that question, I agree it often comes up and, and probably has come up now more with increasing interest rates is the benefit you are still getting from those superannuation contributions is definitely from a tax point of view, you're, you're able to get them in with pre-tax dollars. So even if, for example, you've got, just to make the calculation easy, um, your superannuation might be earning 6%. And the, the rate you're now currently paying on your home loan is 6%. Uh, the, if you compare the two, but you're um, using after-tax income to fund the home loan repayments or to reduce the debt, whereas with superannuation, you can add to that superannuation with pre-tax dollars. So you are automatically getting a benefit there. Also, there's a difference between reducing a debt and increasing an asset in terms of how compounding interest works. Mm. So you get a greater impact over time from compounding interest, even if we assumed two interest rates of exactly the same or return versus interest rate of exactly the same. Um, so you, you will always get a better long-term outcome of increasing an asset with, with compounding interest yep. versus decreasing a debt. Uh, it's, it's something that people yep, mm. don't sometimes don't immediately understand, but once you sort of explain it to them, they can get the concept, um, and therefore that's what I, why I was would always uh, consider that continuing to contribute to super will give you the better long term outcome. Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's, a, that's there's a, a couple point. of great points in that because irrespective of whether it's super or investment, the compounding answer is the same, mm. right? There's that it, it, compounding on a, appreciating assets better than decreasing the double factor when the question which we generally get asked is should i put the money into super or should i pay off the home loan is you've got the additional benefit that the super funds growing at a lower tax rate mm. so it's going to compound better yeah. than an investment mm. outside mm-hmm. and so the way i think about this and you've, you've basically all touched on the point i don't unless unless you are getting squeezed from a cash flow point of view in making your home loan repayments I do not see the long-term benefit of decreasing deductible super contributions to pay off a home loan. Yep. If you are making additional superannuation contributions and working a tax deduction for it, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think Pawnee's comment about the compounding interest rate becomes relevant. And so from my point of view is we are always focused as humans that debts are bad and we will get rid of them. Mm. And so we are conditioned to making sure that that home loan gets paid off and we will probably make some positive decisions towards paying off a home loan that might impact our lifestyle in a negative way. Um, That will mean that we'll make those loan repayments even when it gets tight. But we won't do the same thing if it's taking from an appreciating asset versus... So we will give up the... We will keep the lifestyle and give up the appreciating asset whereas we will affect the lifestyle in a negative way to make sure we pay off a debt. And so unless you are getting squeezed financially, I think long-term you will always regret making extra uh, home loan payments. Right, let's get to the the tips, end of financial year tips, things that people could probably think about or do before June 30 and some would be more urgent and not necessarily done on June June 30 as we'll speak to. So what can can people do to... I guess improve their tax position essentially before the end of financial year. 
Um, Warning. Jason. Yeah. I'll go first. Go I think you. the first one, and this is – it's not first because it's the most important, but it's first because if you don't do it early enough, you'll potentially miss out, and that's what we've just talked about, additional mm. super contributions. If you're making additional super contributions, and I'm making the assumption that they're personal contributions that you may claim a tax deduction for, they have to be in your fund by the 30th of June. You can't leave, can't leave your bank account on the 30th of June. It has to be inside the super fund by the 30th of June. So – if you are thinking of doing that or it's something that you routinely do, get it done now because we're already in June yep. because timing of B-Pays take a couple of days, bank transfers take at least a day, super clearing houses take a week at best. Yeah. So make those early and get them done. I think that's number one tip. Horning? Can, well, I, can, I, can I add yep. something onto that mm. in, in line with that? When you do do them, and this is something that, that people get caught out with because when you make a personal contribution – You've then got to advise the super fund that you want to claim it as the tax deduction. And where people have been caught out in the past, there's this rule that if you have if you get your tax return done before you advise the super fund, then you lose the ability to claim that as a, da- da- a tax deduction. Yep. So there's, there's some timing steps there. You make the personal contribution, please claim it with the super fund first before you get your tax done on July 1. Yes, <laughs> but my tip is don't claim it with the super fund until after – July 1 when you've confirmed to make sure you don't breach any limits. Yep. But certainly get that deduction notice, advise it to the super It's not just advise it to the super fund. You actually need confirmation back from the super yep. fund that they've claimed it as a deduction before you lodge your return. Yep. So for those early tax return lodges, if you're making super contributions, do that yep. step first. And it's one of the rare things that the ATO does not allow you to re-lodge a return. No. Nope. So there are certain things you can re-lodge a return for, mm-hmm. but to back claim a super contribution is not one of them. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Next tip, what else Mr. Horn? What else we got? Um, yeah, so we, with regard to um, certain expenses that, that are tax deductible um, expenses, you may choose to um, bring some of those forward. So you're claiming them all in this year, even though they actually may apply for next year. So some of this is interest on tax deductible loans. So some lenders, margin lenders, and, and some others do, do give you the ability to, to prepay up to 12 um, months? Uh, yeah, up to 12 months. Um, so that is, is bringing an expense forward to, to get the deduction in this financial year. Um, income protection <coughs> premiums are, are, are a tax deductible expense, which again, uh, you could choose to pay it as a yearly uh, premium and, and therefore bring forward the expense in, in this mm-hmm. financial year. So there's some, some common things that people may have that if you've got the cash flow to be able to do it can definitely improve your... Uh, your tax position in, in the current financial year. Um, there's also a new, uh, well, a, a rule that came in about two years ago now, which has given people a bit more flexibility, and that's to do with what's called catch-up contributions. And this will help people who haven't necessarily maximised their contributions, and this goes back to 1 July 2018. So since 1 July 2018, if you haven't been putting in the maximum concessional or tax deductible contributions, you've now got uh, 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 the potential to be able to put increased contributions in into your superannuation um, based on what you have put in looking backwards over the last five years. So it's definitely something to talk to your advisor about and to make sure you're you're getting the uh, the maximum benefit from possibly these unused contributions. So, so in, in context, if it, yep. back in 2018, 19, mm. you, you could put in twenty five thousand dollars. If you if fifteen thousand has gone in, you can actually put in your maximum this year plus another ten thousand to top up that 
2018, yep. 19 bucket yep. and, and there's a couple of years following. And there's a couple mm. of tricks to it. Yep. One is that your superannuation balance had to be mm. lower than half a million dollars on the 1st of July of the financial year. So for this year, that means at the 1st of July 2022, mm-hmm. your balance of super had to be less than half a million. That allows you to do these bring forward triggers. And the way that the system works and why it's important to think about it for this year is because this year is the first, this is the end of a five-year period. So next year, the 2018-19 year drops off. Mm-hmm. And because we, we we roll out. So this is the first year we start to lose a year after, after 30 June. And the mechanics of the way the system works is you have to fill up the year you're in first and then anything that you contribute over the limit this year, which between SG contributions, salary sacrifice contributions and personal deductible contributions is $27,500 this year. So if I put in twenty eight this year, my balance is under half a million dollars at 1st of July. I will then, you, that excess $500 will go back into the oldest year, which in this case is 1890. It's automatically done. You don't have to. Yeah, the tax that. office yeah. do that. Yeah. And yeah. The, my biggest tip is that you jump on the ATO portal um, through the MyGovApp or the ATO app, and there's actually a section called superannuation. And inside that, there's a section called manage. And inside that is catch up concessional contribution or carry. I think they call it carried forward carried concessions. Forward, mm-hmm. yeah. And you go in there and it tells you exactly what's been recorded against by the ATO against your super fund. And it shows you the exact amounts that you can contribute for each of those we, last we, five years. We've actually prepared for our clients a, a one-pager step-by-step how to do that on the MyGov. So we might post that on I'll the Put that on the Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, it's just a yep. single page, click here, click here. And yeah, and I think that, that that's really good because that's the mm. that's done because of matching of tax file numbers. Um, and that's the that's the the method of truth. Whatever that says is what the tax office is going to rule against on. So don't breach those. It's worth doing. Right. Well, that's that's any pretty, others. Any quick any anything uh, else? I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. What you got, Orny? Yeah. Um, no, no. That's 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 probably the um, the the main ones there. And, and on on Jason's point earlier on when he was talking about timing of contributions, he did bring up an important thing about clearing houses so if it's not a personal contribution and it's actually going in as a employer contribution because you run your own business and you're an employee of your own business mm-hmm. and you you might be making it just like you do for the rest of your staff through a clearing house um, we have had issues in the past where clearing houses can take a long time so I'd even be suggesting if you're doing it through a clearing house to at least be doing it a, a full fortnight yeah. Uh, before the end of the financial year. And the, and the timing of that, I think, is important. It's mm. another reason why don't fill your tax deduction notice out until July because mm. sometimes the employer contribution you thought you were getting in June mm. doesn't turn up till ju- July mm. and maybe your contribution is greater or less than yeah. from a deduction point mm. of view. So good good tip, Mr Horn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, I, I just want to finish off this this podcast and I hope people got a, a bit out of that and because um, they are common questions, so maybe they would relate to you or some of them will. Um, but this is just a bit of a fun one. Yep. And it's only out of a, a, a client meeting I had um, with a, actually a really good mate of mine, a good story. And, and I think, Horny, you spoke about some of these stories again in an earlier podcast about, you know, your, your workplace, your toolbox stories about different ideas and investment opportunities and all these weird and wonderful things. But this is – I don't have the, the full gist of the background and I will get it. But basically the, he said oh, – so what's what's the go with the government uh, being able to access your super? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, well, there's a bloke I work with and he's been telling us that there's been this new rule that's come in that if your super balance is around four hundred or $500,000, then the government 
can just go and borrow against your superannuation or borrow your superannuation. <laughs> and I said, no, I haven't, <laughs> haven't heard of that one, mate. Is there anything else to it? He said, no, that's pretty much what he's telling us, that the government can access yeah. because I said, well, our mate, I'd... Yeah, it's said, an yeah he, he believes it. I said, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, we believe lots of things sometimes. But I think that's a case of a bit of Chinese whispers, right? Getting the, the 500 might be the number you've got to have to do the catch-up. Yeah, yeah, There's a yeah, certain yeah, limit. 100%. I can't remember what it is where they would do you could borrow for home. You know, they've been talking about being able to borrow oh, yes. for homes. There's yes, a certain yes, limit yes. for that. And, yep. But, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no. Nah, it's all I got. I like that comment. <laughs> Chinese whispers. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. Anyway. All right. Anything else to add, Mr. Horn? Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, thanks a lot for uh, having me on again. But, um, yeah, and again, a uh, lot of these things we've spoken about today, whether it's SMSFs or, or contributions or whatever, it's just always important to get advice. And, and just like the um, uh, Paul Fowler's mate, that he gets his advice in the uh, the lunchroom at work. Uh, it's, it's always best to yeah get, get advice uh, from, a, from a qualified advisor when you can. Yeah, indeed. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Head to the Wealth Radar Facebook page. Let us know any more of these Chinese whispers you might hear or these quirky things, and we'll see if we can debunk them for you. Um, Always give us some feedbacks, and um, we look forward to chatting again. Make sure you like our Facebook page, and we'll put that tip on how to get through the MyGov. I think that's a good one. We'll put that up on on Facebook. So thanks very much for listening, and we'll chat to you next time. See you next time. Bye. This podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice.